Greet all of you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior. We have been richly challenged this morning to the point that it feels like it's benediction time. It really doesn't feel like we should just be moving on. I find it rather difficult to pick up at this point. God has given me a word, but I feel like we have had a word. And uh, there's a part of me that says, why not just quit? I'll speak tonight. Uh, we've been personally challenged very, very deeply here this morning in a way, and it's not been light. It's been, it's been heartfelt. And this morning... We do not want to take away from what has been said so far. And so, I'm battling a little bit with where to go. I am a person of flexibility, and this morning I'm going to exercise that flexibility, possibly to a new degree. I have... While I was in Kenya for 10 years, there were many times when I was placed into, forced into situations where I could not adequately prepare. Or simply, there were times when I felt like the message of, of an hour would be cut back to 15 minutes or whatever. And that's the way I feel this morning. So. If you will, turn with me to the scripture. This is not where I was going to start, but it's where I'm going to start. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter My title this morning is Beholding God's Glory. And I hope we've already been beholding the glory of God this morning. But this morning, now at this point, I'm going to pull out one of my four points. I think I'm going to stay with that. Simply because I feel it's, we can build on what we have heard this morning with this point. Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Simon Peter answered, and, and they said, verse 14, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My friends, today God is building His church. He's going to do it with men and women that are committed to Jesus Christ as we have just heard. But I say today that when we behold the glory of God, there comes a thought that comes with that, that the church is the bride of Christ. And God is looking for a spotless bride. And God is building His church around the world today in ways that is very difficult for us to wrap our minds around. I will build my church. The attempts of Satan to keep the church from being built have been many and varied throughout the history of mankind. There have been those that have been working against the church from the very inception of the church. And this is the first time in Scripture that the word church is mentioned. The church is the body of Christ. And as it says in the book of Ephesians, the bride of Christ, Christ is the head. And then it gives woman as a type of the church the follower of Christ, in subjection to Christ. And this morning, if you and I would be building in the church of Jesus Christ, it is imperative that our life is in subjection to Jesus Christ to the point that we are willing to give ourselves and to blend our ideas and thoughts and intentions with our fellow brothers and sisters. God is building His church. I hope you want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Through the church there is a tremendous amount of glory that God can receive. But it's important for us to blend ourselves into the life of the church where we're willing to lose ourselves. Romans chapter 12 talks about the gifts that God has given to man. And you heard about that in the chapel on Friday morning. God has given every person a gift. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, I believe it is, that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Maybe it's in the first book of Corinthians. I'm not sure. There, I have slipping on that reference right now. So when God gives you a gift, not going to pull it back together again. 
But he's going to ask you to use that gift. You have the choice. Are you going to use that gift for the glory of God? Or are you going to use it for yourself? God in building his church has called man to him and you and I make our plans. And it's important for us to be busy. But God has said to us in the book of Hebrews, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We as Mennonites are so busy with many, many things that we have planned. And often what happens as a result is that the plans that the church has had in place are secondary. Secondary. But it's the bride of Christ that is going to be called and is going to succeed beyond today and into eternity. The church is going to have a new face in eternity because the church will be the bride and the bride will be present in eternity with Jesus Christ. And if you and I want to be a part of that number, my friends, today, then we need to be blending into it here and now. You and I know that the church is made up of humanity. And it is very, very possible that you have become disenchanted with something about the congregation where you are at. Not unusual at all, especially for young people. Because we see the humanity of those who we live with and who are members in our congregation. We can allow that member, that humanity to bug us and to even turn us away and possibly bring animosity toward those in the congregation. My friends, this morning, if you would look as I need to into my own life, and I see there the issues where others could be offended because of the way I am, and the things that I have said or the things that I have done. When you begin to look at your own life in that way, suddenly, and then you carry that aspect into the church, you suddenly realize there is no such thing as a perfect church on earth. In many ways, we offend all, the scripture says. There's no such thing as a perfect church because the minute I step into that church, the minute I link arms with the people of that congregation, that church is no more perfect because I bring with it, with, into that church, I bring it with it myself as an imperfect being. 
And therefore, ideally, while we would love to see a perfect church, and we dream about it, we think about it, and we idolize it, and we think of all of those things, I want to tell you today that God builds his church with imperfect people. But the promise is, I will build my church. God will build his church, not only here, but around the world. Let me tell you how he's been building his church. It's difficult at times. God pulls people out from difficult situations. I'm going to give you some very, a very personal story again of something that happened in Kenya and how God has built a church out of that. While we were living in Kenya, there was a time, very difficult time in, in our time there when I told you the story the other evening, no, the other morning of the beating. When my son's life and Ken Miller and Joshua, the brother that was with him, their lives were almost taken. Well, the bright part of that story is that today there's a church in that area. And I think it reflects back to the suffering and what happened that day, actually. But two years later, in our family, something happened that was heartrending. My wife and I had been three hours away. I was having church responsibilities at another, at the other unit at Nakuru. And I was on my way. My wife and I were on our way home on a Sunday afternoon from that church service. And when the phone rang, I picked up the phone and I answered the phone and it was Brother Mark Kitfer, I think it was. He said, I have sad news for you. I hate to tell you this. There's been a boy killed. There's been a death. There's been an accident. My son, Gene, the oldest, youngest son, Javon, Joe Kitfer, and I think Jamin Byler. Those four young brethren from our compound, our, our missionary compound, had been traveling west out of Kisumu because there was a church brother about 20, 25 minutes out of Kisumu West at a university, and he was studying to get a degree. And so on this Sunday afternoon, they decided they're going to go up there and to visit this young man as a way of encouraging him. So as they left and going out of Kisumu, heading on up there, they were 10, 15 minutes up through there, when they came to a small little area called Chuliembo. And a lot of Kenyans travel by public transport. There were not, there's not many people that have their own vehicles. A lot more have them now than they did at that point. But as they were traveling up through there, a public service vehicle pulled off to the side, dropped, dropped off a young man by the name of Shadrach Mania. That young man, probably 11 to 13, I don't know his age, 
came off of that vehicle, did not check the traffic, drove right, ran right out in front of the vehicle of those four boys. And that little boy bounced right off of that bumper into eternity. And Mark called me to tell me that's what happened. My heart sunk. Lord, what are you telling us? We continued home to Kisumu, and I dropped Sue off, and I took off up to the place of the accident. And as I got there, Gene was the driver, the very boy, the very son that had nearly been killed. We just looked at each other, and it was like, How, how do you put this together? Why did God bring us to Kenya? To kill a boy? Monday morning, bright and early, there was a knock at the compound. The watchman came to the gate and said, there's someone at the gate who wants to see you. Not surprised, I went out to the gate, and there were, was the adoptive father. I, not the adoptive, the guardian father of the boy and the father of the boy. One was from the Kalenjin tribe and the other was from Alul, was Alul, different tribes over in Kenya, and that's significant in this story. The father was a Kalenjin and there was something taboo about his marriage to the wife, to the mother of the boy that had been killed. And as a result of that, the father had sort of fled the area, left his wife there, and this boy was sort of an outcast, and he was staying with the Luo man who was considered his uncle, I think, but his uncle was the village drunk. They were at the gate that morning because they wanted us to do the funeral for that boy. We did not have a church in that area. And we also knew that in that culture, that the funerals are the time when they do their, get their revenge. That's the time when they get even. They do their fighting if they're going to fight. But as I contemplated, I said to myself, this is, this is how my mind went. There's got to be a reason why God allowed this to happen. Yes, we'll do the funeral. When I told my church brethren that, yes, we're going to go there to do, those, do the church funeral, 
to do a church funeral there. They said, they looked at me like I was crazy. You, you really? You're going to go there? I said, look, God allowed this to happen. There is no other way, there's no better way for us to show goodwill in this community than to go and to simply present Jesus Christ at the graveside of that young man. They said, all right, if you're going to go, we will too. And I think there were possibly three van loads of our church people that went with up, up, us up into that area to do that funeral. But there's something that happened before the funeral. I remember taking the relatives to the hospital, to the mortuary, to pick up the body and put it into the casket, and then we took it back up there into that area. We got into, and there they bury around their homes and around their families. We got up into that area. As we got up to that area and we approached the area, I was honking the horn, that's just the way you should do when you bring a body into the area. And we went back into it, and I thought immediately something's different here. Because they did not take, they did not want the body brought straight to the home. They took it to a field outside, brought a table out, and set the casket on top, coffin on top of the table out there. And as I looked, I could see what looked like hundreds of children coming. The entire school, it looked like from where this boy had been attending was coming. And that group of students came and surrounded them, their teachers, and surrounded that coffin and began to sing in a very soft tone, carry me home. Touching. We went back for the funeral, and I preached the gospel message that day to a huge audience of strangers. But there was an attention given to the gospel. And that day, God touched the lives of people in that area. That village drunk was saved, not necessarily that day. He received Christ. And since we did not have a church in that, in that area, he would spend his living so that he could reach the area where we did have a church. And he attended that church. He became a member of that church. And he kept begging, can we have a church in our area? We wanted to bring a church there and couldn't do that before we left in 2011. Things just couldn't, we couldn't get it together to start the church there. We went there for Bible study over and over again when we could. And I remember probably the last Bible study in their area, being at the home of this village drunk, and the place was packed out at giving at that Bible study an opening for salvation. And his mentally handicapped daughter came to Christ that day. God will build his church. Today, in 2022, it was in 2021, I can think straight, my son 
and his wife and their children went back to Kenya. And guess what? He's pastor at the church of Chulihimbo. God will build his church. Would you like to be a part of such a work? In eternity, there's going to be saints from Africa, saints from America. There will be no language barrier. God's going to build his church. And we over here in America have a tendency to argue and not get along about small, small, petty things. And God would just like for us to lay aside all of those little things that niggle away at us, that bring unrest and pull churches apart. God would like to see us lay those things aside and allow him to build his church. 1980, Sudan Hussein, he hated the Kurds, and he sent cop duster planes over across the Kurdistan villages, and he dropped a poisonous powder across those villages. Thousands died. In fact, some whole villages were wiped out. It was a Kind of, poi uh, kind of powder that when it contacted, it literally ate away the flesh of those individuals. I read about that, uh, people that survived and the terrible suffering of those people. Almost 20 years later, up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on an October morning, beautiful morning, some man walked into a schoolhouse tied up 10 of the girls, demanded that the adults and the boys leave, barred up the windows, barricaded the doors, and as the authorities poured in to the surrounding areas and called for him to surrender, he opened fire, killing five girls and wounding 10 others, five others, and he himself was laid dead shortly. We know it as the nickel mines shooting. Somehow or another, a documentation of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that those people from the nickel mines area offered to the family of the slayer reached the people of Kurdistan. How did it reach them? I don't know. Those people of Kurdistan were so frustrated because they had been seeking for revenge and for retaliation. They had been seeking so much and they were so frustrated. And then they read this happening at the Nickel Mine shooting and how forgiveness had been given and offered and they said, can someone from there come to
to tell us of this way to live. The Amish don't normally fly, but some were found that were willing to make the trip to Kurdistan and to tell these people of the love of God. And Kurdistan has made a change. My friends, one of the fastest growing churches in the world, if I have my information correct, is in Kurdistan today. God will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You want to be a part of that? I'm sure every one of us tonight, this morning, wants to be a part of building that church. But if you want to be a part of building that church, it means you need to give your energies, you need to give yourself into the life of the body of Christ. Bring your talent, talent, talents there. Bring your whole self into that thing. Build the church. Be a part of it. Be a part of the bride of Christ. Despite the fact that there are warts and all other kinds of things in those around you and you carry your own. God will build his church. I invite you to be part of that movement. And we've been told this morning how in giving, how we need to give ourselves and our own desires and blend them with the desires of Christ. Make them subject to him. But if Christ is going to build a church, he's going to use men and women like you and I God would like to show his glory through the life and the work of the church. Will you be a part of it? I trust you're going to walk with us in that journey of the life of the church. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your church life is like. I don't know what your allegiance to your congregation has been or lack of it. I don't know that. I'm simply calling you to a commitment to walk with your congregation and your local church. Because I believe that God empowers the gifts through the calling of the church. For years, I felt a call to the mission field. But it was not until the mission board tapped my shoulder and said, will you go, that we went. I say today, we're like checkers in the hands of someone who sees the big picture. God likes to move our, our lives and make us a part of a bigger movement, much bigger than we ourselves. God will build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God bless you.